Gray, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Wonderful. And hello, classmates, and welcome to this installment of our Hillman Class Reunion podcast. Today, we will review episode three of the second season of A Different World. And I have to say it again, as I say during the beginning of all of our episodes thus far, I'm having an incredible time reviewing season two. Again, it's bringing back all types of memories. And I'm also discovering and uncovering things in these episodes that I think I missed before. How about you? Absolutely. I've seen these episodes so many times. It's so easy to just kind of put it on and just have it on in the background. Yeah. You're kind of not paying attention to it because you've paid attention to it so closely earlier. But right. you just don't realize, especially when you're when you've seen it younger, mm-hmm. it's fun to come back as you know older, absolutely <laughs> older and wiser, uh huh, and through new eyes and just kind of revisit these uh, these episodes. So yeah, this is fun, definitely, definitely. So we won't prolong the time much longer. We are going to get right into it, and just to remind our classmates and to inform our new listeners if we have any. We've structured this podcast to review each episode in chronological order. So pull out all of your means of comfort, whether it's a blanket, your memories, your flask, a glass of wine, and come hang out with us on the quad as we delve into this episode of A Different World. The title of this episode is Some Enchanted Late Afternoon. This episode aired October 27, 1988. In this episode, Walter asks Jaleesa on a date. Ooh. She refuses because she is involved in a long-distance relationship. She finally agrees to join him for dinner with the stipulation that they are just friends. Jaleesa has a great time with Walter and even shares a slow dance with him. However, she still refuses to break up with her boyfriend. Dwayne and Ron start a wake-up service. Child. (laughs) (laughs) Those two. Anyway, this episode was directed by Debbie Allen. The writers are Susan Fells-Hill, and Rob Edwards. Rob Edwards, who is that our first time seeing him, Porsche? This is our first time. Um, okay. Yes. And, you know, we really try to make it a point to point out the producers, directors, and writers. Um, but I thought this one was particularly noteworthy. So I'll just get into his background. So according to IMDb, Rob Edwards wrote two episodes of Full House before joining A Different World. He primarily served as story editor all throughout season two of A Different World, but he also wrote three episodes this season, this one being the first one. Mm -hmm. He then joined the writing team for the first season of In Living Color, which earned him an Emmy nomination in 1990. Nice. He then went on to write and consult for The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and The Parenthood, and he wrote and co-executive produced Out All Night, Rock, and In the House. But this is after Debbie Allen left. Okay. Yes. So he's been pretty responsible for a lot of what we loved and enjoyed in the 90s as far as sitcoms. Mm-hmm. He also co-wrote the screenplays for the Disney films Treasure Planet, 
and The Princess and the Frog, both of which were nominated for the Academy Award for Best Animated Film. And we all know how important The Princess and the Frog was when that came out. Our first Black Disney princess. Mm -hmm. Yes. What is he up to today? Today, Rob Edwards continues to create, according to IMDb, he's currently in pre-production on a film he's directing called Sneaks, starring former NFL player Eddie George and rapper Sway Lee. But he also mentors and gives screenwriting masterclasses as well. And here's a nice little fun fact, Ely. Rob Edwards is a Syracuse alum, class of 1985. Oh, go orange. Yay. Yep. So, yeah, me and Ely, that's where we met at Syracuse University. We are both alums, and Rob Edwards is an alum. So this is, you know, we're catching his work about three years after he graduated from SU. So Oh, wow. He was young. Yeah, very young. Wow. And, and uh, you know, mind you, like I said, he started on Full House before he joined A Different World. So it seemed like he came straight from Syracuse to Hollywood and hasn't looked back since. Listen, that must be that Newhouse connection. It must be. It must be. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. he he definitely knows what he's doing. Again, he's out here giving master classes. He's still mentoring. He's still doing a whole bunch of stuff. But looking through his, his IMDb and just looking at this list of writers and directors, I just thought, you know, this was pretty noteworthy. This isn't the first time that we've seen Black writers on this show. But it just brought home the fact that this is a Black sitcom, and here Mm -hmm. we have Black writers and a Black director on this episode. I don't think that we saw that in season one, but we're seeing this in season two with Debbie Allen coming on. Right. That Mumford, he did write some episodes though, right? He wrote episodes, but we didn't see, I don't think that we saw a writer-director duo that was Black. Gotcha. In season one, like we're seeing in season two. And, you know, and that matters. And of course, we're seeing we also have um, black producers listed. We'll we'll talk about that in, in a second. But I would imagine this was probably pretty uncommon at that time mm-hmm. in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. To a certain extent, it's still somewhat uncommon now. We're still talking about the need for more black representation, especially yeah. this past summer with Black Lives Matter and it touching every aspect of society, including the entertainment industry, and talking about mm-hmm. the need for more black writers, black producers, black directors, more black creatives being part of the process and not just focusing on who's in front of the camera. So yeah. I think it's pretty astounding when we're still talking about that to look back at a 1988 episode of A Different World and seeing that they had those Black writers and Black directors Mm -hmm. helping to tell these Black stories. And I'm sure that that helped make Debbie Allen's overall vision of making A Different World a more authentically Black experience that much more um, possible when you have Black people behind the scenes helping to tell that story. So shout out to Rob Edwards and Susan Fales Hill, who wrote this episode and and to all of the black writers who are writing these shows and trying to tell these black stories. Yeah. And, and the black producers and directors who are also trying to make sure that those voices come through. Right. I also find it interesting that, you know, Rob Edwards as a black man, he also wrote on Full House, right? Right. And Full House had like no black characters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they had they had Teddy come and visit a couple times, come and visit Michelle. 
and oh, and uh, I forgot oh. the girl's name, but um, played by Journey Smollett. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah she, yeah. you know, they had yeah. little friends of the family, they but did. not not no members of the family. That's for sure. No, <laughs> no members or no adult friends. No, no adult friends. <laughs> In my mind, I never imagined, and this is not the first black writer that we've talked about that had uh, credits from or writing credits on a majority white show but I, I still think it's interesting I just until we started you know doing the background research for a different world and you know looking up uh, some of the history and accomplishments of the writers I just never imagined that black people were in the writing rooms of these predominantly white shows so yeah and you know what's also interesting on the flip side is just how many non-black creatives yeah. are behind these mm-hmm. black shows yeah yeah that's why we call out these folks who are writing and producing and directing these episodes of a different world especially when they're black because it's not a given that it's going to be black right. people behind it I remember seeing um I don't know some behind the scenes whatever special episode of in living color and they showed the writer's room or what we were supposed to believe was the writer's room. And I was shocked because there's so many black people, of course, from the cast, but so Mm -hmm. few black people writing those episodes at that time, you know, and I'm sure in addition to Rob Edwards, who I said was nominated for um, an Emmy for in living color, besides him, I don't believe there were too many other black people not named Wayans on that writing team. Wow. You know, and it still happens to this day. So it's a, uh, it, it's still an uphill battle and it's still, it will never cease to amaze me how many things that we have regarded within the black community as being important sources of entertainment and, you know, who was behind that. Yeah. Like black people weren't behind it. Not, not as many yeah. as you would think. And exactly, you know, and, and probably the parts that resonate most with us is probably the hard work of just a few or one black person, perhaps the, you know, the black star, knowing that their mm-hmm. name is on it, really having to push to make sure that it, it feels right. And then they, mm-hmm. the rest of the team have to get on board, on board those right. stories. I can't wait for those stories to be told more often because we need to hear that. Absolutely. I agree with you. So in speaking of behind the scenes, uh, the producers of this episode include Marcy Carsey, Tom Werner, Thad Mumford, Margie Peters, uh, Debbie Allen, Joanne Curley Kerner, Susan Fells Hill, and Nancy Hass. So Portia, tell us who's in this episode. All right. We have pretty much the same people as last time. <laughs> we have <laughs> okay. Jaleesa Vincent played by Don Lewis, Whitley Gilbert played by Jasmine Guy, Dwayne Wayne played by Kadeem Hardison. Uh, we see Letty Bostick here in this episode played by Mary Alice, Ron Johnson played by Daryl M. Bell, Kimberly Reese played by Chanel Brown, Freddie Brooks played by Cree Summer, Colonel Taylor is in this episode played by Glenn Turman. And we also see Walter Oaks played by Sinbad. And before we move on, I just want to give a special shout out to Sinbad. Um, You know, his family, as of this recording, his family released a statement back in November 2020, revealing that he was recovering from a stroke. So although our focus uh, for this podcast is on his work as Walter Oaks on A Different World, 
need I remind you that he, Mr. Sinbad, is a legendary and award-winning film, television, and voiceover actor, comedian, host, musician, and most importantly, father, husband, brother, and friend. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we honor all that he's done in his career, bringing joy to his fans, and we definitely pray for his healing so that he can continue to do what he loves to do. Amen. All right. So uh, we got a couple of guest stars on this episode. We have Enrico, the waiter, played by Frank Renzulli. Now, Mr. Renzulli, he is an Emmy-nominated writer and producer. So not just an actor, but he does a lot of stuff behind the scenes. He actually wrote episodes of The Wonder Years, The Walking Dead. Yep, The Wonder Years, The Walking Dead. And he had acting appearances on a variety of shows, including L.A. Law, The Practice, Crossing Jordan, and Ray Donovan. Quite a resume already, but he may be Mm -hmm. most known for his time as an Emmy-nominated writer and executive producer on the HBO drama The Sopranos. And we have Eugene Williams, who plays the frat guy. Unfortunately, he didn't get a name. (laughs) <laughs> but but he did get lines, so that's the most important thing. And uh, Eugene Williams made appearances in various TV shows, including St. Elsewhere, Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, Matlock, 227, The Cosby Show, Sister, Sister, and NYPD Blue, and the list goes on and on. Unfortunately, he passed in 2002, but we appreciate him and all of his contributions in the entertainment industry. And he's, you know, if you look him up, he he did a lot in the um, L.A. acting community as well. So, oh, nice. Yeah, that's Eugene Williams. Nice. All right. So let's get into this episode. It's a lot happening here. Let's get into it. Okay. So this episode opens with Walter and Jalisa standing on the front porch of Gilbert Hall, having a difference of opinion over enforcing curfew. Jaleesa wants to strictly enforce the curfew, but because Walter is a bit more lax about the curfew for the men's dorm, McLaren Hall, it makes it hard for Jaleesa to maintain the rules at Gilbert Hall. Now, while she tries to convince Walter to show a more united front, she notices Walter noticing her. Mm-hmm. Mm. Just then, Freddie arrives with a big box. Turns out to be another package from Eric, Jaleesa's boyfriend. And last time, he sent a stuffed bunny with a bracelet. This time, it's a large teddy bear with a scarf. So he's out here with the gifts. Yes, I was like, I wonder if that's Jaleesa's love language, girl. Gifts? (laughs) It might be. I don't know. We'll see. Now, you know, Jaleesa's trying to be discreet and she goes and she takes her package inside. And that's when Walter has an opportunity to talk to Freddie, who also is her roommate. He's asking Freddie for the tea. He needs the backstory here. Who is this guy? What's going on? And Freddie reveals that Eric spoils her with gifts all the time. But Walter is not impressed. Mm, Hater. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, we we have established now that we got a little sexual tension between Walter and Jaleesa. Jaleesa trying to talk business and Walter trying to figure out how he could talk about something else. Right. Oh, and also, side note, remember in episode one, we get an introduction to Eric 
in conversation. Remember, Jaleesa met him over the summer. That's right. Yeah. He's a little younger than her, too. He's a little younger than her, but he coming through with the gifts, though. Mm-hmm. I see you, Eric. Mm-hmm. Now, I think this might be the first time we're seeing either one of them express any type of interest in each other. Is, what do you yeah. think? Is this the first time we're seeing? That's the first time I recall. Yeah. So what do you think about this? What do you think about this tension between the two of them? I think it's really, really cute. It gave me like butterflies a little bit. I was like, oh, I miss that. I want someone to look at me like that. <laughs> like soon. <laughs> been, been in the house a year. <laughs> girl, listen, we just talked about everybody's ready for this, for this hot girl summer, hot boy, hot person summer. I think maybe that's why I had such a sensitive reaction. <laughs> Uh, I was really like I thought it was so cute I was like oh this is so adorable it kind of made me think about those moments when you know you first lock eyes with someone you find attractive or someone you know locks eyes with you and just the blushing and the turning away so I I thought it was really cute Mm -hmm. all right now again you know Jaleesa been called grown, but now we can see grown woman status in action. Yes. Even though Jaleesa is still a student, we really haven't heard her talk about classes just yet. So it was very interesting. You know, we've seen her in working mode primarily so far. We've seen her as a library assistant. We're seeing her, you know, in her res life capacity as as RA. Mm -hmm. And then we also see her in big sis mode primarily with Freddie with everything yeah because <laughs> freddie is so young and just uh-huh. out here and you know yep. we, we saw uh her counseling Dwayne through his disagreement with ron in the previous episode mm-hmm. so you know it's interesting what they're choosing to emphasize in her life right now it's like true is she a student i don't know ain't nobody said class yet nobody has said class yet but you know what because jaleesa is the grown woman that she is i bet she holding it down with a 3.0 or higher (laughs) she probably is on the dean's list somewhere (laughs) now down at the pit we see ron walking in wearing a nightcap and wearing a pillow because he is advertising his new wake-up call service. <laughs> now, BFF Dwayne is unimpressed, and he is encouraging him to come up with a better business model. Step one, change your business name. It sucks. So instead of <laughs> Ron's wake-up call service, Dwayne tells him to call it Shake Me Wake Me. Which is cuter. Yeah, he even had a little little jingle with it. Shake me, wake me. Shake, shake me, wake me. Yeah, so so Dwayne got these ideas. Nobody asked him, but Dwayne <laughs> is offering these services. So that's where we leave them. Now we cut to Gilbert Hall. I think it's, yeah, it's got to be a later date because they're wearing different clothes. Mm-hmm. And we see Dwayne posting flyers for Shake Me, Wake Me. Apparently Ron took his suggestion. And then Ron walks in, telling Dwayne that he just secured a deal to wake up the local morning DJ at 5 a.m. in exchange for free ads on the radio show at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., and 8 a.m. So, not a bad deal. Yeah. Go, Ron, work it. Get your negotiation up. Now, who up at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 
and 8 a.m. to hear the wake me or shake me wake me calls. Well, the people that need to be up that early, yeah, there's people who probably are struggling and they might say, hey, even though I woke up on my own today, I might need <laughs> I might need somebody. I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, those ads may be better place afternoon, but okay. <laughs> Hopefully they woke up on their own. Yeah. But anyway, so I digress. So then Whitley walks into the lobby inquiring about their services for her roomie Kim. Now, Kim apparently sleeps very hard. It's difficult for her to wake up, but she has to wake up by 5 a.m. Dwayne says they're on it because as their model, their new model says, what she made up on the spot, no sleep is too deep. (laughs) Which is news to Ron, but they're going with it. And Whitley goes ahead. She agrees to to sign a contract with them, noting that they have a money-back guarantee. Again, news to Ron. So we see who's in charge here. Mm-hmm. Whitley even throws in an extra $10 if they don't wake her up. So that's a little <laughs> incentive there. Yes. So we see Ron and Dwayne got their little business going. They got their first customer, customers. So yes. shout out to these, to these budding entrepreneurs. Shout out to the entrepreneurs. Shout out to black black owned business. Shout out to black owned businesses. Yes, I love it. I love it. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but throughout the series, we see Ron being very enterprising, right? I, I, I think so, like yeah. Yeah, I think throughout the series, we will see the development of various business ideas that he has speaking of did you ever start a business in college I did not I don't recall ever being entrepreneurial in that sense I remember in middle school though they had a um what do you call it like a like a holiday bazaar or something like that where people would Mm -hmm. would sell little things and so a friend of mine we got the bright idea to make scrunchies scrunchies were in back then And we figured out how to, we deconstructed a scrunchie, figured out how to make it. She had a sewing machine. Her mom had a sewing machine at her house. And girl, we were serious. We spent many days. I spent several nights (laughs) over her house and we were putting together our scrunchies and we had different fabrics and stuff and we were doing it. We we made some good stuff and we figured out how to make some other kind of trinket that really was just cardboard with some cotton balls glued on it. And then we put some powder on it and we wrapped it up like a gift. And so that mm-hmm. was supposed to be like a nice little Santa got you this gift and do not open it though. <laughs> You're going to be mad when you open it, but it looks nice on the outside. That's cute. Yeah. We had our little business going and I don't know if we made a profit, but we, we sold most of our stuff. We were quite proud okay. of ourselves. So I would nice. say that that might be the peak of my my business uh, endeavors. <laughs> okay. What about you? Gotcha. No, I've just never had that entrepreneurial, enterprising spirit <laughs> in college or or high school. But I did have peers who definitely kind of carried that enterprising spirit. I remember in middle school, even I had peers who were like bring candy to school and sell it. Did you know those people? Oh, I was one of those people. I forgot about that. I oh, okay. So look at you. But that wasn't well. You know, there there was some reasons behind. Well, there there's reasons behind Ron and and Dwayne. I'm sure they want to make money. 
But yeah, I remember in high school joining the band specifically because I wanted to go on the band trip. Because mm-hmm. every year they either went to, I think it was Daytona Beach or maybe it was Orlando or mm-hmm. Myrtle Beach. And this year gotcha. where they were going to Myrtle Beach. So I learned how to play the baritone specifically for that purpose. And, you know, you have to pay to go or you can sell mm-hmm. candy. So I sold candy for two years. <laughs> this was, a, I was in the long no, game. Girl. I sold it for two years. Wait a minute. <laughs> I learned how to play for two years <laughs> To go to to go to South Carolina, girl. I I I've had listen. I was trying to go on this trip because everybody was saying they had so much fun, and I said this is going to be my senior trip. I got to plan this out. I sold this candy. I ended up paying fifty dollars out of my pocket at the very All end. Right now, so that's what's up. I made my way. So that was like that wasn't an official fundraiser, though, right? It was fundraiser. Yeah, it wasn't like my my I'm candy talk- business. I had peers who was like buying Snickers bars and M&M's from the grocery store <laughs> and like chips and they had a stash and they were that money was going to buy new sneakers. <laughs> I was not an independent uh business owner no. I was I was Right. <laughs> I was part of some conglomerate I guess. I don't know. Yeah, but it's what's interesting is uh, a lot of those students, a lot of those peers of mine who did that they are the ones who run independent businesses now. So what do you think about the dynamic between Ron and Dwayne with this business? I mean, yet again, you know, we have Dwayne kind of putting himself in the leadership role. We see Ron, as you said, um, exhibit this entrepreneurial spirit. And then Dwayne is like, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. Do it like this. <laughs> and he just takes over. And Ron being Ron is just like, okay. I'll go along with it. I When I hear a good idea, I, I don't have no problem with it. And he just goes along. And I thought this was Ron's business. And now it's Dwayne and Ron's business. Mm-hmm. Uh, not e- It's not even Ron and Dwayne's business. It's Dwayne and Ron's business. <laughs> right. He definitely takes over. He, he has that takeover spirit. So, mm-hmm. but I guess two heads are better than one sometimes. So, so Ron they is are. with it. Yeah partnerships work yeah and shout out to to Whitley in this scene as well again we're seeing these characters get revised and we're seeing another side of Whitley who's uh, you know showing her more generous side because she goes ahead and she buys this wake-up call service for her roommate Kim Mm -hmm. and I don't know about you but I don't know if we would have seen this in season one Whitley I don't think she would have done that for Millie absolutely not Millie would have been responsible for waking Whitley up, okay? Right, yeah. Millie would have paid for Whitley to wake up, or Millie would have woken her up herself. Because I don't know if she would have been okay with having these men come up in her room before she was ready. True, true. Or I imagine uh, if Millie were still there, the plot would be Millie is normally responsible for waking Whitley up but she has some other commitment that conflicts with her wake-up assignments. So she subcontracts the service to wake up Whitley one day. Something, yeah. It would have been something. Yeah, (laughs) hilarity would have ensued. It would have been some shenanigans. Absolutely. So, you know, I guess shout out to Whitley for for showing this this nice, kind side, but also who knows (laughs) what the motivation is because, 
we don't actually know if Kim wanted this service. This might be Whitley imposing herself on Kim. <laughs> on the oh, Kim. no doubt. I'm confident that it's Whitley imposing herself on Kim. And here we go. Let's fill in a hole. What's probably happening is Kim has to wake. Does she wake up at five or she need to be somewhere for five? Oh, I, I thought it was wake up at five, but I'm not sure. Okay. So Kim needs to wake up at five. I would bet money that Kim is a habitual snoozer and that bothers the bejesus out of Whitley. <laughs> so she's like, you know what? I'm about to hire these people to come get her up. Mm-hmm. So that I don't have to keep hearing that snooze button. Right. But nonetheless, what's happening next? Yeah, we'll see what happens with them. So now we cut to later on in the day, perhaps we're still back at Gilbert Hall, but now we see Walter uh, hanging around waiting for Jaleesa to return from class. So now there's proof Jaleesa is going to class. Jaleesa is going to class. <laughs> this grown woman is still getting her degree. So Walter is hanging around because he wants to apologize to Jaleesa for his behavior earlier. Now we see Letty sitting on the couch. She's sorting letters and she lets him know that his childish behavior was quite apparent because she was there mm -hmm. <laughs> at that meeting as well, the Res Life meeting. Don't miss nothing. Yeah. So Letty's like, all right, you know, I saw what happened uh, and I will let Jaleesa know that you were looking for her. <laughs> And Walter kind of does not leave. He he wants to linger around. He sees an opening. He sees an opportunity to get a little more information. And he starts to ask Letty about all these letters coming in from men. And then he gets a little more specific and he wants to know about letters coming for Jaleesa. But Letty has been around the block a couple of times. She clocks all of this mile a mile away. And can we just remind everybody that her name is Letitia? <laughs> Letitia, yes. Letitia, who was out here in the South African and Parisian streets a, lot, a couple lifetimes ago. Who does everything from paint buildings to sculpt. To sculpt in the, in the lobby, just out in the way. She does it all, yeah. So Letty is like, listen, I'm sick and tired of this. Why don't y'all just get together already? Right. <laughs> you ain't fooling nobody and then Walter admits that even though he's known her for almost two years he sees something different in her he sees the grown woman in Jaleesa now and he wants to ask her out but he's nervous but Letty you know she just tells him listen stop treading water and ask the woman out right and so Walter followed that advice Jaleesa comes in and before she was able to go all the way up the stairs Walter corners her and asks the woman out and unfortunately, she turned him down. Oh, Jaleesa. <laughs> yeah. And look who was sitting there, standing there nearby as she was sorting through her little mail. Whitley Gilbert. Saw it all go down. Saw it all go down. That Whitley and Walter locked eyes. <laughs> Whitley turned her head. <laughs> Walter slow bopped on out the door. Bless his heart. So yeah, so let's talk about this scene where we finally hear Walter express some some genuine interest in Jaleesa. Yeah, so as we're reflecting on this scene and, um, you know, the fact that Walter had noticed her for two years, one of the first things I thought about was, child, he liked that natural hair, honey. <laughs> she cut her hair and now he can see. The weave out. He's like, oh, I see you now. 
Uh, I see you. We see each other. We see each other. Yes. Doesn't hurt that, you know, Jaleesa is, is taking more of a, a, a leadership role out in Red's life. She's going to these to these meetings. And Walter mm-hmm. is hearing her assert herself. He's hearing her be a leader. And, uh, you know, he he's seeing that, that confidence there. I'm sure also mm-hmm. he's seeing the fact that she got a little boo, a young boo. Girl. Up in New Jersey. Some Sometimes it's like folks just can tell that you got somebody and, and that radiates. Listen, it never fails. Mm-hmm. It never fails. It's like as soon as you get snatched up, then here come everybody. Here come everybody. Folks that have been looking at you all day, every day. Now all of a sudden, every oh, day. who are you? All of a sudden they see something different. Mm-hmm. And I think it happens across genders too. Oh yeah. yeah. You don't want nobody unless they somebody you know somebody wants them. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. We we will see how this continues to play out. Okay, so moving on to the pit. Child Whitley is fighting her way through a crowd of dancers, but she gets through. <laughs> she makes her way through. She survives. She gets through. And she finds Jaleesa sitting alone. And so Whitley, nosy Whitley, decides to strike up a conversation. And she starts by wondering why the sudden change in her appearance. Whitley sees the grown woman in Jaleesa too. All right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, you know, not for nothing. Jaleesa is dressing kind of snazzy. I noticed those little mini skirts she's wearing. I noticed the tight skirt to the pencil skirt. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Jaleesa out here is snazzy. I don't see no backpack on her back. I don't see no Mm-mm. jean jacket like she was doing in season one. She's out here looking like, you know, professional. Exactly. I was. You took the words right out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. So Whitley wonders, perhaps, is she dressing up for the attention of a man? If so, that would be understandable, as Whitley just cannot fathom going on semester after semester without male companionship. <laughs> that just don't work for her. So Jaleesa is trying to brush her off because we already know Jaleesa don't really like Whitley too much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Whitley is caught up in the story. She's caught up in the idea of Jaleesa managing two suitors. She she knows that she has Eric in New Jersey, but she also sees that Walter has expressed real interest in her. So, you know, this yes, is exciting. Hunty. Yes, hunty. Mm-hmm. Again, Jaleesa does not want to talk about it, least of all, talk about it to Whitley. <laughs> <laughs> so Whitley is getting ready to leave. She's getting up and she tells Jaleesa that, you know, these teddy bears and scarves is getting old quick. You might want to get you somebody that's that's right here right now. I know that's right. Somebody that holds you. Mm-hmm. And at that same moment, Walter walks in and he sits down at the table because he wants to talk to Jaleesa. He's not going to roll over easily. And girl, Whitley had gotten all the way up and she sat right <laughs> back down. <laughs> That's me. That's something I would do. (laughs) She was ready for the show, but she was quickly dismissed. She got up and uh, uh, so then Walter starts talking to Jaleesa and tells her that she is the first woman ever to refuse to go out with him. Isn't that interesting? Mm. And so Walter decides, you know, always leading with humor. He decides to give her a mini teddy bear with a scarf since she's into that sort of thing. <laughs> and Jaleesa laughs. She finds that cute. And she explains that 
it's not you, it's me, basically. I have a boyfriend, so I don't date. And Walter insists, no, no, you have misunderstood. This is just me inviting Mm -hmm. a friend to dinner. This is not you and me going out on some romantic date. I don't know what you think, but this is what, this was my intention, so. Mm -hmm. And so after a little back and forth, Jaleesa relents. They negotiate a time for him to pick up, not too late, because, you know, this ain't no real date. This is just friends eating. And, of course, Whitley did not go too far. She left the table, but she did not leave that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So she stood by and watched the whole thing go down. So let's talk about it. Now, first, before we really get into it, I just have to say I was so confused (laughs) because Whitley said without a man, she'd end up chewing her nails. Uh huh. Now, Jaleesa said, thank God for press-ons trying to brush her off but right i thought she said thank god for prince songs of course you did <laughs> i had of to remind i was like did. did they say prince oh my god prince girl and she did not say it but for those of you all who may not know my co-host and bestie is a prince fanatic i think she's like Dr. Flowers is in the top five list of Prince fans. I really do. Oh, no, I am not. I'm humble enough to know there are people who study. Listen, girl, there's people that have written all kinds of books and research papers, and they got academic conferences around this man. Okay. But no, classmates. (laughs) She's such a fan. She knows that she's not the biggest fan. (laughs) And I'm going to leave it right there. (laughs) Yeah, so I thought they were checking prints, and I said, all right. But then they said press songs, and I said, you know what? They should have gone with print songs, because I feel like that would have worked better. Uh, They were talking about nails, Portia. Mm -mm, They should have been talking about prints, but... The the press songs work. (laughs) So anyway, let's get into the the meat of the scene, really. And that is Walter and Jaleesa, and clearly... Walter is charming her. He is using humor to attract her. And, you know, what do you think? What do you think about about humor Uh, in a man? I love it. I think that's why I was so just, I really like this episode. Uh, I really like the way their romance is budding and developing. Because for me, humor is how you get me. Like, a guy could be, I would say, mediocre in the area of attraction but if he can make me laugh like he can get me yeah it's the personality that shines through yeah it's the personality and I really like to laugh and have fun and just really be loose and hang out so if a guy can make me laugh then he's got me and he can be fine right he could be a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10 he could be a 12 on that scale of one to 10. If he can't make me laugh, it's it's not going to work. We're not going to last. We're not going to make it past the first date. Yeah. It's, it's the personality. And it's also a level of attentiveness. Like you're trying to get something out of me and you're paying attention to what I respond to. Mm-hmm. It, like it's a sign of you kind of learning who I am and, and what I like and what I don't like. And you're, you're actually trying to attract me to you. Yeah. through your humor so so that was I I like that I like that you know of course Walter's being played by Sinbad who and we already talked about he's a comedian he 
something. You know, mm-hmm. that that's probably the the biggest thing is that he's a stand up comedian. So they they got the right one there when you're talking about developing a character using his charm and personality and humor. He knew how to deliver that, and so it it felt it felt like genuine interaction all throughout the episode between the characters of Jaleesa and Walter because of Don Lewis and Sinbad. So just really mm-hmm. good acting there. Yeah, they had good, I thought they had good in, on-screen chemistry. Yeah, yeah. Because honestly, um, now that you mention it, as I was uh, watching this episode, I did think to myself, I wonder, did they have like an off-screen little rendezvous or fling? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I've never heard it. I've never heard it, never read it. But, you know, just wondering because workplace romances do happen yeah. and can happen. Yeah. So, and speaking of workplace romances, I thought it was interesting that, you know, although these two, Jaleesa and Walter, are somewhat colleagues, with Jaleesa being an RA, and I think Walter is an RD like Letty is, Mm -hmm. we're going to assume that they're similar ages with these commonalities and they're kind of like on similar levels, so to speak. Jaleesa is still a student. And Walter is a full-time staff member. But didn't we say he was a grad student? Grad student on the side. But his his job is in that athletic department in res life. And so it just feels a bit, you know, I'm, I'm feeling some power imbalance here. And questions of inappropriateness in terms of, of their relationship. Like, what do you think about that? Because, I, I mean... We can get into it later when we talk about what might be different if the episode was done today. I, it, something about this might be a little different. I don't see a power imbalance, um, mainly because of the age. I think um, they're comp- you know similar in age, and also um, Jaleesa's maturity level. So I don't see it being a problem. Also, Walter is not her supervisor. I see them and their interaction seems to be one where they are more colleague Mm -hmm. than superior and subordinate. Mm -hmm. So because there's not a superior subordinate relationship or dynamic, I don't think it's inappropriate. Okay. Okay. I'm still, I still got a, got an eye on it. I'm still... Okay. questioning and I'm questioning why ain't nobody questioning but yeah that's a good point about her not being a direct report to him yeah all right and on that note let's pause right here and take a break and when we return we will see how the enchanted evening between Walter and Jalisa unfolds Hillman Class Reunion is committed to supporting institutions that center Black people and communities. We hope that as you return week after week to listen to our podcast, you will hear us use our voices in support of historically Black colleges and universities. And we encourage our classmates to learn about, advocate for, and actively support these institutions of higher education. The coronavirus pandemic has impacted every part of society, with Black lives, Black communities, and Black institutions being amongst the hardest hit. Therefore, all season long, we will highlight 
and donate to a variety of HBCUs, which have long been the foundation of Black excellence, Black intelligence, and Black innovation. Now more than ever, these institutions need our support. This week, we are highlighting and donating to Tougaloo College in Jackson, Mississippi. Founded in 1869, Tougaloo has the distinction of being at the forefront of the civil rights movement in Mississippi, serving as a safe haven for those who fought for freedom, equality, and justice, and a sanctuary within which strategies were devised and implemented to end segregation. Go to T-O-U-G-A-L-O-O dot E-D-U or HillmanClassReunion.com slash WordPress to learn more about Tougaloo and ways you can support. All right. Welcome back, classmates. Let's get right into it and see how these grown folks act on this date. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's move on to the next scene where we see Dwayne and Ron entering Kim and Whitley's room. <laughs> the sun is not up yet, but they are on the job. And uh, the ladies are asleep. And so Ron and Dwayne are tasked with waking up Kim and they actually shake and wake her. <laughs> it's right there in the name of the business. So they get her up long enough to quote unquote sign the sheet saying that she's up. This girl's eyes ain't even open. Uh, but they put the pen in her hand, she signs it, and she falls right back asleep. The guys turn around and they try another tactic. They get her up on her feet and they give her her bag to go to swim practice. And she sleepwalks her way to the chair and continues to sleep. They try one more time to wake her up before they could be successful with that tactic. Her alarm clock goes off and now they are in a panic. Dwayne don't know what to do. He he might want to jump out the window. He can't figure out where to go. He's looking left and right. So they're panicking and Whitley calmly gets up, <laughs> turns the alarm clock off. She has not taken off her face mask, turns the alarm clock off, goes to turn around back to her bed, but then she puts her hand out to silently demand her money back. Yes, ma'am. Because the deal was you wake her up without waking me up. So they failed and Kim is still asleep <laughs> at the end of the scene. Kim is still not waking up. So let's talk about it. Miss Kim is a pre-med major. She's doing a lot. She is working at the pit. And now we discover that she's also on the swim team. Mm -hmm. Shout out to the HBCU swim team. You read my mind. <laughs> Shout out to the HBCU swim team. But this sounds like the typical overachieving college student to me. She kind of sounds a little bit like me. I'm recognizing some things. Uh, so, so how busy was your schedule in college? Did, did this kind of remind you of yourself a little bit? Absolutely. I always kept a busy schedule. Um, even in elementary school, middle school, high school, I was always on the go, always doing something. I did not have a job, my parents, um, because they 
they're like, you know, we want you to focus on your academics and your extracurriculars. So they kind of discouraged me from getting a job because they didn't want me to be too overwhelmed. Uh, But I I did trust, I did try to get a job. And my mom was like, yeah, no, you're doing too much. But I can definitely identify. Girl, at one point um, in college, I had three jobs. Mm-hmm. I had an internship at a development corporation, which was paid, thankfully. I worked at Radio Shack. So I was in retail for th- for a couple of months. And I did some freelance writing for a newspaper back home. All right. And maintained my 4.0. <laughs> All right now. And was in a sorority and in student leadership clubs. I forgot about my student leadership responsibilities. I was a peer educator. Um, I had my sorority activities and responsibilities. And I was I felt I think I was in another auxiliary club. I forget which one. I was like on the freshman orientation planning committee. I did student government work. Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah, I get it. <laughs> I did a lot. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Same. I did a lot. I was I wasn't a pre med major, but I was you know, different types of STEM majors. I had, I had shifted a bit. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do at first, um, but always in STEM, uh, which mean, meant that I always had labs. So day mm-hmm. was full and I was very active in student activities. I was in um, various um, cultural organizations and I was the president of the Black Student Union. It wasn't called Black Student Union, but it was basically the Black Student Union. Then I was part of the leadership of Women of Color group. I had multiple jobs. I worked at a art museum on campus. I worked at the Jewish Center. I worked at the um, Science Library. I feel like I'm missing another thing. You probably are. <laughs> I did a whole bunch of different things on campus. Yeah, so sometimes I'll look back on it and I'm like, I don't know how the heck I managed all of that because these days I'm feeling a little tired. <laughs> right, yeah. It would have been interesting if I had a, a wake-up service, but... uh When you're young, you got superpowers. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you got all this energy, you might as well use it and, and use it well, use it in a way that's going to uh, serve you in the long run, so... Yes, that is Miss Kimberly Reese. She probably needed someone to help her get up and face mm-hmm. the day, but whew, that brought back some memories. I bet it did. Now, I do have a technical question, though. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So, how in the world did Ron and Dwayne get out of McLaren Hall and into Gilbert Hall by 5 a.m.? Because as we talked about at the top of this show, this episode. Exactly. Curfews. We got an issue with curfews. Shouldn't they still be under curfew? And shouldn't Gilbert Hall be locked? Yes, Gilbert Hall should be locked. And they should have visitation hours. Back then, especially. And I know visitation hours did not start at 5 a.m. No, not at all. But I'm joking. (laughs) They snuck in. Or, you know, what we call sitcom magic. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just interesting. Especially when last season, there was a whole to-do about Dwayne getting locked in the... And not maybe not locked, but, you know, he was there after 
curfew. Yeah, because he was helping Denise with her to study for like a math final or midterm or something. And he had to sneak out of Whitley's window mm-hmm. because the door was locked. So I, I don't know, girl, maybe the rules changed this semester. Maybe. I don't know. But that's interesting but that they it. were able to develop this this whole business on campus that really depends on them getting into these dorms before visiting hours. Right. <laughs> Or at ungodly hours of the morning. So I'm just going to attribute that to sitcom magic. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So that's actually not the important thing, though. The important thing is this Walter and Jaleesa date slash non-date. So much I want to talk about, but go ahead. Yes. So now we have cut. Break it down. We have cut to Walter and Jaleesa at the Italian restaurant. And they are having a good old time. They're laughing over their embarrassing fashions from the 70s, as grown folks in the late 80s would do. (laughs) And then, you know, Jaleesa admires this order of lobster diavolo. And Walter sees that. He's attentive and insists that they get it. But unfortunately, you have to order it 24 hours in advance. But guess what? That ain't nothing for Walter. Mm-mm. Walter said, I see a problem. I'm going to fix it. Let me come through, Walter. Yes. Come through. Let me let me speak to Enrico right quick. <laughs> and his name is Enrico, not Enrique. Get that right. <laughs> yes, Enrique, Enrico had to had to check him right quick. And so Walter asked if he could get that meal because he sees that Enrico is bringing this lobster Diablo to another table. He stops him and he asks for it uh, before he can serve it to the the other couple. And so he's able to get him to uh, to take the deal. Walter offers twenty five dollars. And so he gets it and he tries to pretend that he actually ordered this meal ahead of time because he knows Jaleesa so well. Mm-hmm. But Jaleesa, she she didn't really buy it for any real amount of time because she saw that the couple at the next table got up and left in anger because they did not receive the order that they placed 24 hours earlier. So <laughs> she, she knew that Walter had something to do with that. But it doesn't matter because, you know, Jaleesa's enjoying the meal. She's, she's, yes, she's watching them people the leave and she's serving up... <laughs> getting that food right onto her plate eating that lobster unapologetically that's right yeah so now they're chit-chatting and walter starts to ask about eric but guess what two can play that game because jaleesa Mm -hmm. decides she wants to ask him about brenda from the administration office who works for dean harris that brenda right (laughs) <laughs> that exact Brenda and apparently Walter took her to the faculty dance and to the Brentford Marcellus concert mm-hmm. fancy fancy or maybe Renee we can talk about Renee the nurse in student health that apparently has a bit of a crush on Walter so Jaleesa got a couple questions for him but before they can mm-hmm. really get into his love life Walter asked Jaleesa to dance and after being silly, Walter and Jaleesa finally share a nice little slow dance to Billy Paul's Me and Mrs. Jones. Very cute moment. I do have to say, 
Me and Mrs. Jones is a very interesting uh, selection. Girl. It's, it's a grown selection. <laughs> Me and Mrs. Jones was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and best-selling soul singles chart in 1972. So it's it's an oldie but a goodie. And it mm-hmm. won uh, the Grammy for Best Male R&B Vocal Performance in 1973. But if you listen to them lyrics, you know it is for grown-ups. That song is about this man talking about being friends with this married woman. Marith woman. Mm -hmm. And watching this particular scene, I thought it was so cute. And when they started playing, me and Mrs. Jones, I was like, now come on, (laughs) y'all. This is really appropriate. Like, whose idea was it? Well, wait a minute. I'm trying to figure out, are they trying to telegraph something? Are they trying to say that Jaleesa might be having a bit of an affair with Walter since she is taken? Does this actually right. count as an affair? Right, right. True, true. So I, I guess, you know, when they search the catalog. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, well, I guess Secret Lovers might have been too much. Woo. Was Secret Lovers out at that time? Um, let's see. Let's see. I'm about to Google. Let's see. Let's get on the Googles. Secret Lovers. Oh, that was in 85. Yes, that was free game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was that was one of my favorite songs back in the day. I did not understand what it We meant. had no business liking <laughs> that, but I loved it too. Yes. I knew all the lyrics. Secret lovers. Yeah. Listen. That's what we are. I remember that video. That was back <laughs> when BET still had Midnight Love. And I would wait for that song to come on. It would be the bet, you know, Midnight Love came on at midnight. So it's pretty mm-hmm. late. I could only watch it really on Friday nights. And it was a super, super treat whenever I saw mm-hmm. Can You Stand the Rain and Secret yes. Lovers. Yes. Girl, I used to love that song. I remember my godmother, she had that in her tape deck. But yeah, we had no business. Uh-uh. <laughs> no business. None at all. I didn't get it. But it, it was just. I didn't. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was. <laughs> and I, I remember in that video, I felt so bad for the husband. I didn't, I didn't, it didn't, I, none of that registered because, you know, it was, it was a stage performance and then it was, you know, the acting in the video. All yeah. I saw was the stage performance. I didn't know what they was doing. <laughs> they were acting out the lyrics and I didn't know what the lyrics were saying. I didn't know what the lyrics were saying, but I did know the guy, one guy was getting curved. Like I understood that and his feelings was hurt and I felt bad for him. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I was just, I was just waiting for it. So real. Uh, that, that was my part. So real. So real. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in lieu of secret lovers, they had me and Mrs. Jones and I feel like they were trying to tell us something, but in 2021, I think this generation might push back on this idea that Jaleesa is having an affair with Walter. Because yes. I think they might try to say, well, ain't no rings on nobody's fingers now. Ain't no one. And and as Walter said, this ain't no date. So we just friends. We just friends dancing to a nice song. And Walter being Mr. Flirtatious with Brenda. Uh-huh. He, he got some folks and on the back burner. He... Shoot, child Walter probably had just gotten off the phone with Brenda before he went out with Jaleesa, knowing the way men do. <laughs> well, 
yeah, you know, it's it's a lot of stuff going on. It's some it's some layers. Now, let's go back to that friend part because Walter sure is showing up and showing out for someone who he claims is just a friend. Mm-hmm. Now, have you ever done anything extra for a friend that you wanted to be more than a friend? I have done extra stuff for friends that I knew were more than friends. I'm not a first move person, but you know, when there's a quote special friend in the life, mm-hmm. I will do extra. You know, it may not be said, but it's established that you know. You got you got to throw out some clues somehow. It, it's gonna be more than some clues now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it may not be articulated, but it will have been explicitly indicated. <laughs> <laughs> If you understand what I'm saying. Explicitly indicated. All right. (laughs) I have known gentlemen to do extra stuff for me that we were friends. And it was, you know, I got the hint that it was implied that they wanted to be more than friends. Mm -hmm. But it's just in my personality. I'm not doing anything extra until I know. Right. We're a little more than friends. Now, one of the ways that Walter indicated that he was interested in being more than just friends is he paid a whole 25 extra dollars for this lobster. And who knows how much the lobster itself cost. He paid $25 for the waiter to give them that food. Mm-hmm. They still have to pay for the actual food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just, <laughs> I don't know. I was just like, wow, it only took $25 for that waiter to turn. How much do you think a favor like that would cost today in 2021? Definitely more than 25. I can't say a waiter in his or her or server in his or her right mind would hand over someone else's food, especially when the patron sees their food coming. (laughs) (laughs) Because they would probably lose their job. But like I have been in situations and had experiences where like you've been in line somewhere and trying to get like ahead of the line especially like at a pool party or at a club and I've never done it but I've been with guys who've you know passed the extra tip and it's definitely like 50 maybe a hundred dollars yeah 25 ain't gonna ain't gonna cut it no no I I would say at at minimum 50 and I think that's pushing it probably like 75 to 100 yeah now Again, we're seeing grown people doing grown things. We got Walter giving extra money to pay for a special meal. The fact that they're even in this nice restaurant says a lot. Walter can actually afford to take Jaleesa out and ain't saying nothing about the extra money that he's spending on her. They're talking about the 70s. Uh, you know, they're talking about faculty dances and jazz concerts. I mean, this is this is some grown folks stuff right here. They're slow dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They're just really laying it on thick that we are talking about mature adults. Mm -hmm. And the last thing that I want to say about this scene, classmates, y'all going to have to help us out here. I need some people to confirm or deny this. But the couple that, that got up and walked out, people whose, whose food was given to Jaleesa and Walter, I think that that was Thad Mumford and Susan Fails. I need to go back. I really think that was them. They looked so familiar. So I saw an interview, an older interview of Thad Mumford. Mm -hmm. 
that look like him. And I just saw a video of Susan Fails because she presented Misty Copeland with a special award for the NAACP Image Awards just last mm-hmm. week as of this recording. Oh, wow. And um and she looked just like her. She looked just like the woman that was uh, that was in the the uh episode. I bet that was her. I bet that was her and him. I wouldn't be surprised. I, you know, and I looked at the the credits, the end credits to see and of course they weren't credited. But I mean, it would make sense to me that that would be them. They they're probably there every day on set, so it's nothing mm-hmm, to just throw mm-hmm. them in, especially if they're not saying anything. I need somebody to confirm or deny this, y'all. Please help us out, classmates. Yeah, I'm gonna go back and look. I bet it was them. That would be so cool if that was them. That's a great observation. Very keen eye, friend. Very keen eye. <laughs> All right. So we have seen the couple. They are on their date. Now, meanwhile, we got to go back to where the children are. We're seeing grown folks out here <laughs> in these grown folk streets. And now we see the children out here at the pit where they can afford to eat. And Ron and Dwayne, they're not eating, but they're having a business meeting. After one week of business, they have earned a net profit of $249. Not bad. That's not bad. Though I'm sure they had close to zero operational cost <laughs> right you know whatever it costs to print those flyers and given that it's ron and Dwayne, they probably got some library assistant to do it for the free right yeah they got some favor somewhere mm-hmm. so that's not bad um they have a long way to go to get to their goal of buying motorcycles that was their initial motivation and then the frat guy comes up and asks them if they're going to the Kappa house tonight because as he says, quote, it's going to be a death jam. Yeah. And if you know what that sentence meant, then you grown. You you grown grown. You grown. <laughs> you old. Because uh, I have not heard those words <laughs> spoken in a long time. It's going to be a death jam. So you know it's going down, but guess what? Dwayne and Ron are just far too tired to even think about it. You know they're tired if they're turning <laughs> down a Def Jam at the Kappa House. So Thanks. they have to do some reevaluation. They realize Shake Me, Wake Me is just a little too much to handle right now. And they agree to use the money that they've already earned to buy motorcycle helmets and jackets and just lie <laughs> about actually having the, the motorcycles of themselves. So Typical. Yeah, <laughs> it works out. Sleep deprivation or actually having motorcycles, it's not hard to realize that maybe they'll just they'll just go ahead and lie about it. So once they've made that decision, we go back over to Gilbert Hall to see the grown woman return from her grown date. And we find Freddie waiting up for her, sitting at the foot of the steps <laughs> like a child waiting for their mama to come back home. And Jaleesa reports that she actually had a wonderful time with Walter and she laughed the whole time. Mm-hmm. Now, Freddie predicts that Eric will soon be replaced by Walter. Jaleesa isn't quite ready to make a decision yet, but it is very clear that Walter has made quite an impression on her. And that's how we end the episode. So let's go back to the pit where a guy is talking about this Kappa house. <laughs> now, I've only attended PWIs, predominantly white institutions. 
So I've only seen fraternity houses and sorority houses for white Greek organizations, even when black Greek organizations existed on campus. Mm -hmm. I'm just not used to hearing about black fraternities or sororities having houses on college campuses. Did they have that at Tougaloo? I'm not familiar of any colleges um, where the black uh, Greek orgs have like an official house on campus. Okay. Cause I was going to ask if this yeah. is something common at HBCUs, but I'm not sure. No, the houses aren't common at HBCUs. Interesting. Now there was something called the dog house. <laughs> oh, tell me more. Which was this off campus <laughs> apartment where the cues would reside and hang out. Uh-huh. So, you know, that was like kind of the unofficial cue house. So like a lot of instances, there would be a few members of the, fr- of the fraternity, um, especially with smaller membership. They would ha- may have an off-campus apartment or maybe renting a house off-campus. Those would be like the unofficial, like Alpha House or Kappa House or, you know, Omega House or whatever. But I'm not familiar with schools that have the official sorority houses. There may be some, but I just don't think it's a prominent or very ubiquitous occurrence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Closest thing that I've heard, and it doesn't quite count, but I know Deltas have a thing called Delta House. Every alumni chapter does not have access to one. This is something that I've actually heard of more so when I went down south, but they would build their own facility to have their own activities and, you know, meetup space and, and community space. Right. Well, of course, that was separate from any college campus. I'm sure the college chapters could probably have access to it, but it was not affiliated necessarily with the college campus. Are those mainly run and operated by the graduate chapters? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's the closest that I had ever heard of. Um, But I was just really curious if if Black Reach uh, organizations had houses on HBCU campuses. I think the issue is resource constraints. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I just don't think probably the schools or the the members just have the resources to to establish and maintain them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that was something that just stood out for me. But then the other thing that stood out is that we got Freddie's age. Mm-hmm. When Freddie was talking to Jaleesa, she said she was only 17 and a half years old. She's a baby. She's a baby. Just driving home the fact that Freddie and Jaleesa are in different worlds. Very different worlds. But I do like how they're developing that guided big sister relationship, though. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, of course, again, Jaleesa is, you know, has a good report coming off her date with Walter. She enjoyed her time and she is floating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even just being able to take that lobster back to her dorm room and she's eating off of that and just reliving her moments with Walter. And he got her back home before curfew. Look at that. Yeah. Res- responsible. Yeah. When Walter listens. Walter pays attention. All right, so that is the episode. What are some final thoughts or takeaways from this particular episode for you? I thought it was cute. I really like the development or the initiation of the love story between Jaleesa and Walter. I thought that was really cute. I appreciated them exploring the, uh, you know, the issues and the conflicts of having a long distance relationship, which is very real, real. For a lot of college students, something that, you know, they deal with and have to kind of manage those conflicts with. 
and I like how charming and cavalier he is. Very gentleman-like. Yeah, you can see what Jaleesa might see in Walter. Yeah. The big thing that came through on this episode is we seeing a grown woman with a grown storyline with a grown man. Yes. And also, I like the fact that Jaleesa is no longer defined by, or uh, it's not as, I don't want to say frowned upon, but remember in season one, you know, her divorce status and her age came up as more negatives, right? It was kind of made her look like an outsider. Yeah, yeah. She was othered in a way. Yeah, she was other. Now we really see her incorporated um, more into the campus or the lives of the younger characters and appropriately so, but also in a more positive way. You know, rather than her being this different other person, like not like us, there's a delineation, but to me, it's more positive, right? We see her as mentor, big sister, you know, responsible, taking care of things. And not that she wasn't responsible before. She's more appreciated by by her peers. And so I like that. You know, the other thing that I appreciate is that we got a little bit more information about Walter. Because again, yeah. you know, Walter has been a reoccurring character, but this is, you know, he's he's been bumped up to main cast member status so um now we're getting a taste of what life is like in this small college town in virginia for this young black man and we find that he's out here seeing these women and and making good use of his time getting to know the people and and being very social and i'm just thinking you know as small as hillman is walter sure is trying to run through this female staff girl these men don't care I mean, you know, you might want to pace yourself, homie. That was an accurate portrayal of real life because that's what be happening. He is enjoying himself. And again, you know, like like you said, this this is somewhat of an accurate portrayal. And I think that if we were to see it go, you know, all the way through to its conclusion, we'd probably see that there would be no backlash, no no negative repercussions necessarily on him because he's a man a a woman would not brenda in the administration office would not be able to run through all these men at hellman the way that walter absolutely not is trying to do (laughs) child if anything uh and probably even even today if this episode were done they would show the brenda and the other lady having a quarrel quarrelsome (laughs) disagreement about walter or something Oh, you think that they would get get together and like compare notes about Walter? No, that, well, not necessarily compare notes, but like, oh, he like you, he like me, and then you know the two of them will have aught. I would hope not. I would hope that if this episode was done differently today, that they would see it and just be like, "Girl, you can have him." Girl, that's what we hope, but I doubt that would happen. Mm-mm. Not not with these hashtag wokes out here. I don't think they would have the women know. go after each other <laughs> for this one know, man, girl. this piece of man. They might. Who who has who has uh, told Jaleesa that they're old news anyway? <laughs> because I mean, true, 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 true. But you know, when I just think about the landscape of what's on television and reality TV, what is it? Conflict between women. <laughs> That's reality TV. That ain't. 
I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that it's what I would desire to see. I'm just saying, I think that that may be written in. But nonetheless, they're not important because this is about the blossoming relationship between Walter and Jaleesa. And also, you know, Jaleesa got a decision to make. Jaleesa has a decision to make and Walter's not going to make it easy because Walter is quite charming. And, you know, as far as what would be different if this episode was done today, I still think that there would be some type of conversation about possibility of this being an inappropriate relationship. There would be a, a conversation about it. Maybe they would determine that this is fine. This is all on the up and up. But I just found it interesting that, you know, Letty would be like, just just do it already. Ask her out. Go ahead. Without just saying, now, you may want to be discreet or you may want to think about this first or I don't know. So I was a little surprised that there wasn't that moment of pause. I think that that would be built in if this was done today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I Like I said, I think because they are probably similar in age and because there's not the subordinate supervisor situation. I don't think it might. I don't think it would be explored. Yeah. Now, if he were significantly older than her, then yeah. Or if Jaleesa was his direct report, maybe. But yeah, I also think if this episode were done today, Shake Me Wake Me would one hundred percent be a virtual slash digital business. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think would nobody be putting up no flyers. I mean, they could put flyers up, but it would mostly be on social media and. I don't know if they would, it would probably be automated. Like, I don't know if they would even try to wake up so early and get into these dorms and wake folks up personally. They would probably program some wake up calls on people's phones. Yeah, they would definitely have an app business. It would be an app, yeah. It, it may not have anything to do with waking up, but it would def- they would definitely <laughs> be trying to push an app. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know what? I bet they would probably do some type of food delivery service. A food delivery service? Mm-hmm. Via an app, like an Uber Eats or something. Oh, so instead of instead of a wake up service, they they would still put together a business, but it would be a different type of yeah. business. Yeah, I'm just I think it would be a different type of app based business. Yeah. Something you know, something more relevant to today, because nobody really thinks about oversleeping for well. I'm sure they are, but people have their alarm clocks on their phones and stuff. Yeah. It would be harder to get into these dorms as well, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking about um, things that are popular these days. And so. They have an Uber um, Eats. Like some type of Uber Eats or maybe like some type of consignment app where you can sell like stuff you don't want anymore. Oh, another thing I think that would be different. Jaleesa's gifts. I think we may have heard some labels, right? So she has a teddy bear with a scarf, but we might have heard like, oh, it's a uh, Hermes scarf mm-hmm. or she got a Chanel bracelet or, you know. Yeah, yeah. It would have been some type of indication that this is a pricey gift. Yeah. This man is spending real money. I thought he probably would have sent her a plane ticket instead of a little teddy bear. Oh, yeah, that tar- that too. Maybe that's next. First the bunny, then the bear, mm-hmm. then the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, how would you rate this 
uh, Jaleesa Walter-centric episode. I'm a sucker for love, and I really like the romantic part of it and just Walter's attempt to court Jaleesa, so I would give it a four. I'm going to give it a four and a quarter. Okay. I hadn't broken out the quarters yet. I think I've just been doing halves. Changing the game. Uh-huh. Okay, you switching the game. We got quarters now. Okay, I, I can dig it. I can dig it. <laughs> I just I really like the the interaction between the two of them and again I thought that the way that Sinbad and Don Lewis were able to bring life between the two of them I thought it was really well done and to bring that humor through in Walter somebody that we had seen before and and kind of seen in a, in a humorous fashion now we're seeing much more of his personality and we can see how someone would would be interested in him and we're seeing more of Jaleesa more than just She's grown. She's old. She's been mm-hmm. married. No, she's she got a life. Mama got a life. Yeah. And she out here wearing these short skirts and stuff and, and catching the attention of these men's. Right, 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 right. Yeah, we, we learning a little bit more about these characters at Hillman College. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this installment of our Hillman Clash Reunion podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us. Yay. See you next time. See y'all. I'm Dr. LaRonda Ely. And I'm Dr. Portia Flowers. Thank you for listening to this installment of Hillman Class Reunion Podcast. Hillman Class Reunion is produced, written, directed, and edited by LaRonda Ely and Portia Flowers. Original intro and outro music was produced by our friend and brother, Daquan Bowen. You can get more information about him at DaquanBowen.com. That's D-E-Y-Q-U-A-N-B-O-W-E-N-S.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hillman Reunion, Instagram at Hillman Class Reunion, and Facebook at Hillman Class Reunion. And visit our website at HillmanClassReunion.wordpress.com. And hey, classmates, like, rate, and subscribe to Hillman Class Reunion on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope that you join us for our next episode of Hillman Class Reunion. Bye. Bye.